0: As you might have guessed, we're going to be talking about treasure a bit today. And uh, the first passage we're going to look at that actually even deals with the word treasure, which shows up again and again throughout Scripture, is Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. It's can be found on page 511 in your pew Bibles or 986 in your large, large print pew Bibles. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that as we uh, hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would help us not to take it lightly, help us not to take it for granted, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, Lord, that, um, that we would have a vision of the surpassing worth of Jesus. Lord, that you would so affect our minds and our hearts by your truth and your goodness, your mercy and your grace. Lord, that we would go out from this place today different than we came in. That we would come to know you better and love and trust you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 2 says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from those whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong, and rejoice in the perverseness of evil whose paths are crooked, and who are devious in their ways. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead, none who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Turning to our New Testament lesson, Colossians chapter two, verses one through fifteen. can be found on page nine fifty four in pew Bibles, or eighteen thirty in the large print. Paul says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, Rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have been looking at parables that Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven. He came proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. uh, And then he also shows in action what the kingdom of heaven is like. There's a place in uh, the What's in the Bible video series with Buck Denver Whereas they're covering the Gospels in volume 10. If you want to check it out, I highly recommend it. And discussing um, the miracles of Jesus. And it says, one of the things that Jesus is doing is not just, uh, he's not performing magic tricks. He's actually showing what the kingdom of God is like. And so the way they put it is it's like, uh, so when the kingdom of heaven comes in all fullness, there will be no more hunger. Bam! Jesus feeds 5,000 people. There's going to be no more sickness. Bam! Jesus uh, heals someone who has leprosy or blindness. There's going to be uh, no more death. And bam, Jesus raises people to life. And so as you see all the things that Jesus is doing in action, miraculously, he's, through his actions, pointing people to what the kingdom of God is like. But he also does so, not only in his uh, kind of normal. Teaching and explaining, but through the use of parables, and uh, we saw last time uh, says he did not say anything to them without using a parable. So as he teaches, he's constantly using these parables and in uh, letting people know what the kingdom of heaven is like. Today we have another parable: the kingdom of heaven is like. This is Matthew 13 verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. If you blinked, you missed it. That's it. That's the whole parable. And I actually think there's, it's that short on purpose. He could have gone on and on, as I'm probably going to do here in a second. But he just leaves it at that. I'm going to say it one more time, just in case you missed it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. I think it's this short on purpose, because the whole idea of what he's saying is, if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. This is one of the things the kingdom of God is like. How many of you all have been to the caverns of Sonora? Anybody? Yeah? I'm looking for a show of hands. All right, most of you. Very good. Um, One of my favorite things about the Caverns of Sonora, as much as I I like the year-round temperature, I like that, that's nice. I love that every room that you go into is kind of divided into all these different rooms, and every room you go into, it's all completely different formations. How does that happen? (laughs) That is amazing. And so if you just look into one room and go, yeah, I got it. No, you don't. <laughs> you got to keep going. You're going to miss so much. I love that. But one of my favorite things about it is that after you go through and you experience the whole thing, you go through all the caverns, and then you come back up and you look around over the surface of what you just experienced, and it looks just like everywhere else around it. You'd never know that was under there. But there it is. It's amazing. And this is, uh, when Jesus talks about this treasure hidden in a field, I think that's part of what's going on, is that this field looks just like all the other fields. It looks ordinary. And you could pass by and you could miss it. Not only does it look ordinary, but it looks ordinary enough that when somebody is going to sell all that they have and buy a field, you've got to imagine everybody else around this guy is like, I think he's lost it. I mean, look at him. Going all excited and he's selling everything he's got. Why are you selling that? I'm gonna go buy that place over there. Really? It's just like all the rest. But then they see the twinkle in his eye. Maybe he knows something about it. We don't know. <laughs> and I think that that twinkle in the eye is not officially listed as uh, part of the fruit of the Spirit. I think it ought to be, <laughs> because I think that is something that believers have in common. That when the world looks at you and says you are crazy for giving up that job, for moving from there to there, from uh, because <laughs> the way that you do business, for telling the truth to the IRS, what is wrong with you? And the believer has a little twinkle in their eye. Says, "I know." what I'm doing. I know what I'm giving all this for, and it's totally worth it. And here are the things that I want you to remember about It's a very short parable. Here are the main ideas, so we're all on the same page here. One is that uh, there is a treasure hidden in a field. But two, there is a cost to the treasure. But three, that there is a joy in paying the cost because of the great bargain it is, and how much the treasure is worth it. Worth it all. The word, if, if you didn't notice the word joy in there before, highlight it and circle it in your Bible. If you're using the Pew Bible, I'm fine with you highlighting and circling it there too. This is important. <laughs> this word joy, because a lot of times we think, okay, the cost of discipleship, which sometimes we just skip over altogether. Oh, there's a free gift, and there's no cost associated with it, and then only somewhere later on we're like, oh, yeah, by the way, it costs you everything. I'm like, what was that? That's not how Jesus did it. When Jesus goes around, he has a uh, man come to him. Oops, flipped right past it. A few chapters later, Matthew 19, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus talks to him about the commandments and then Jesus says uh, he says yeah I've I've done all the commandments Jesus says if you want to be perfect go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven then come follow me and he goes away sad he's not going to do it in Luke chapter 9 Jesus says, whoever wants to to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Jesus front loads the cost. It's not buried in the fine print. It's right up front. The cost is right up there where everybody can see it. And for a lot of people, like that rich young man, they see the cost and they say, It's too steep. It's too much. I can't do that. And they go away sad. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is actually like a man who sees what the cost is. And instead of going, oh, I don't know, I mean, I guess I'm supposed to or something, God wants me to give up everything. Gonna to have to try to figure out a way to be willing to give it all up, and I really don't want to. Maybe I can just work out a deal where I can give up some things. That's probably enough, right? If I get Jesus, says, the kingdom of heaven is like a guy who sees the cost and doesn't pay it grudgingly, but joyfully. This is why I highlight, circle that word joy. That's a part of it. He gives it all up joyfully. Why does he give it up joyfully? it's worth it because he knows that what he is paying is nowhere close to what he is receiving does that make sense in fact it's so far different that there is no amount of paying that could ever pay for that treasure all right you notice he buys the field he gets what looks ordinary he couldn't buy that treasure there's nothing he could give to get that treasure that he would gladly give all that he has for the field that contains that treasure. When we are looking at the cost of discipleship, and we find ourselves like the rich young man feeling like going away sad or trying to come up with a deal some way to not have to give it all. We have to consider what our treasure is. Everybody treasures something. The rich young man treasured his possessions. He also treasures his own goodness, his own ability to do it on his own. In Philippians... Paul says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised, he goes through his resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. If anybody could brag about their spiritual resume, it was Paul, and he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Those who understand that what we have in Jesus is greater than anything that the world has to offer. And here we are holding on to these things and saying, I don't know if I can let this go. If that's where we are, if we're treasuring things, C.S. Lewis talks about it like a a kid in in the slums building uh, mud pies and holding on to that because they don't understand what's being offered to them by a vacation at the beach. If we are holding on to these things that, by comparison, are worth less and rejecting that that has actual value, we may need to change our focus. We may need to open our eyes, to look and see who it is uh, that we're rejecting. Why it is that we'd be wanting to hold on to these other things instead. One other place there in Philippians. In chapter 2, it says that there will there will come a day that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that day will either be a day of great rejoicing or of the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And it depends on the answer to the question. Who or what is your treasure? If Jesus is your treasure, and what you want more than anything else is to know him, to know him better and more and more, and then he shows up, hallelujah. But if what you want is something else besides him, and he shows up. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus tells us. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We all treasure something. And if we don't treasure Jesus above everything else, Let's not beat ourselves up up over it. Let's just look to Jesus more. Maybe we've only peeked into the caverns of Sonora. (laughs) We need to go in farther and farther and explore and explore and see just what a great and amazing treasure this is that we have in Jesus. Who is he? What is it he's done? And here's the thing. Sometimes people look at what it is we're asked to give up. I give up everything at least be willing to give up even life itself? And we think that that's too great a price. Read earlier in Philippians chapter 2. And we see that Christ... Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In other words, he gave up far more than we can ever even imagine. More than we can even relate to in that sense. Why? Why would he do that? Why would he give that up? And then we look at Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? The more we look to Jesus, how he went first, he gave his life for us, that is of such greater value than anything we have to offer. The more we see the treasure of that in giving us life and bringing us to God, everything else ought to pale in comparison. When we stumble upon this, even though for the rest of the world it still looks ordinary, just like the regular field, when we stumble upon this, we ought to joyfully be willing to give up anything, anything, it means knowing Jesus better. Does that make sense? I hope so. I really hope so. Knowing that he is the one who went first, giving his life for us, that we would understand the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. You might have come in here today not expecting to hear a message like this at all but expecting more like the rich young ruler what's the next good thing I need to do I'm getting pretty good at some good things I just need to get a little bit better Jesus says it's not that kind of thing the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure focus on the treasure explore the riches, and see how those riches have been given for you. And let that change everything. About how we live together, how we live individually, how we live as a church and a community. As we mature and grow and deepen in our love for and relationship with Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.